Hello, and welcome back to the only Star Wars podcast uh, that is held in the Library of Congress. Yes, you are listening to Thronderdome. This is your co-host, Dr. Daniel Dottie. With me, as always, the estimable Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Pretty good. I got some uh, Seinfeld memes uh, posted and, and uh, doing some pretty good numbers. And that's how I gauge my self-esteem now that the Brewers have been eliminated from the postseason. <laughs> right. So this is so this is good. This is how you how you get your 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 juice ready. This is how you get your mojo flowing for your true passion, which is of course this podcast. Um, so that's good to know that you're in that you're in good shape there. It sure as hell isn't this book. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to some of that. Some of the limitations actually that was over that was overly harsh because this isn't a particularly bad segment of the book and i think it had i think it had just, some standout moments too it has some good moments and then it has some well we'll we'll get to the <laughs> stupid moments <laughs> that's true i guess as as always we have you know we're we're three books in dozens of hours of audio you know lord knows how many episodes by this point uh you know dozens at least um and we still have not. Let, 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 let me begin the uh, summary, if I may. Please. I just want to, to wrap up uh, my thought was that we still haven't figured out any way to actually have an opening segment. So let's go right into the recap. Anyway, I wanted to do the, do the recap. Uh, I wanted to start it out with me because uh, the, the chapter 16 starts off with a whopper of a Zonism. Uh, the planet was green and blue and mottled white, pretty much like all other all the other planets Han had dropped in over the years. <laughs> Great, awesome. terrific, awesome. I feel like this is like this is the planet description equivalent of when Timothy describes someone's clothes as nondescript. Like it's just just like the the least effort possible. Um, but it has the, the minor exception was that this one didn't have a name. Yes, we are in orbit around planet codename Wayland Smithers, planet Wayland. Um, one thing I thought to, to stick to that opening sentence, <laughs> because as, as with everything's on, it is a rich, rich text, uh, even one sentence worth, but the planet was green and blue and mottled white, pretty much like all the other planets Hana dropped in on over the years. Let's remember that of what we have seen, I think we, we counted it up one time, there are six film canon planets that Han Solo has been on. And only two of those were had any plant life or green on them. Yavin at the end of A New Hope and uh, Endor at the end of uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. So four of the six planets we have seen Han Solo on did not look like this. <laughs> Well, we don't really know about uh, Corellia, that planet he's from. Maybe that's what it looks like. And that's true. And I mean, your, your career as a smuggler means you're necessarily mostly going to planets that are habitable for humans. So they're, they're going to tend toward the kind of, you know, the blue but marble you, look. But you do make a good point that it's sort of insane to have Han Solo, of all people, think, you know, I've all the planets I go to pretty much look alike. <laughs> right. I mean, he went to fucking Hoth. He went to he went to Hoth. He's made the Kessel Run, you know. He uh, settles in on uh, Tatooine all the time. You know, made made that one of his haunts. 
These are. They went yeah. into that giant asteroid that turned out to be a guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's a, an odd choice again. A, a odd choice for for Mister Zahn. But again, you know, he's the master. You know, we have only to learn from it's, him. It's it's simultaneously odd and expected because as we've hammered home in every episode of this podcast. Zan does not like doing descriptions of things. <laughs> for for a which we'll 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 get to that more of that in a moment. But, sure, uh, sure. I'll I'll hand it over to Daniel to uh, to to summarize better. Yeah, well, we'll go. I'll, I'll continue with the with the recap here. Yes, there isn't there isn't much to Planet Wayland, and there are definitely are no spaceports. So Mara confirms that this is Wayland, and when Han asks where this mountain is, she replies, "It's about halfway between the equator and the North Pole." near the eastern edge of the main continent, a single mountain rising out of the forest and grassland. To which Han replies, Okay. <laughs> which I, I was very amused by. But apparently with this kind of vague description, he keys some stuff into the nav computer and it's going to be able to figure it out for them. Wayland reminds me of like one of those uh, GameCube games where they're trying to do open world, but they don't have that much uh hardware power so mm-hmm. it just kind of looks like half-assed and crappy mm-hmm. like this is kind of a han solo going to star fox dinosaur planet <laughs> I, I bet han solo has been to the star fox dinosaur planet um man if, if this ha- if this had a star fox in it boy oh brother don't i mean as a wolf man that's very close to a star fox so and a zebra and I I wouldn't be surprised if if there's a zebra man in one of those uh, one of those Star Fox games I didn't play much of. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I, th- I think we're finding the connections between Star Fox and Star Wars. The the clue is in the names. Um, Chewie and Lando barge in to see what's up in the cockpit, and they all notice that there are no power sources. Uh, there's no transmissions, you know, beaming out from the uh, from the planet. No army bases. No garrisons. Uh, Mara explains that this is keeping that this is in keeping for a private storehouse. No need to advertise its importance with any kind of military installations, and nowhere for Thrawn to have moved in for a command center. Mara remarks that they won't have any heavy weapons or fighter squadrons to contend with. Uh, Han thinks he sees something out of the corner of his eye on the sensor display, and explains that a couple of times he's thought he saw something following them, but it could just be a glitch. After a little more back and forth about the layout of Mount Tantus, Luke shows up. We're here, kid. I know. Mara told me. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny that Mara and Luke are having telepathic conversations, even though she hates him. Um, yeah, actually, to, the, to that point, Mara excuses herself instantly <laughs> to get out of the same room as Luke Skywalker. And Han sarcastically remarks that they seem to work well together. But Luke insists that, no, no, we actually do. Um, you know, Han should have seen her when they broke Talon Card out of space jail. You know, that was, they worked well, well together. But the, the nav computer has by now identified a likely candidate for Mount Tantus. So Han augurs the Falcon into the atmosphere. Uh, Han is leery about, uh, bringing Mara along on the mission and suggests that they leave Mara with the Falcon when they land, but Luke won't have it. Uh, he's, he's resolute in that, no, she has to be a part of this. She has to come along. Uh, call it a, is he's like Luke, call it Luke a Jedi does, hunch. Luke, Luke does make the point that uh, people that that plan on killing people don't usually go around saying they're planning on killing people to everyone within earshot. That's I mean that's true. 
I would counter also that people who don't plan on killing someone also don't talk about planning to kill them. So, you know, I don't, as, you know. As we've established, your wife often talks about killing you. <laughs> well, because she intends to. <laughs> but, um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be a solemn uh, episode of Thronderdome. The... I'm going to have to do the recap and the and all of it by myself. Yeah, that's I, that's why we're that's why we're arraying a, a vast uh, guest roster. That's of, right. Uh, possible replacements for you when you're murdered by your wife. <laughs> Possibly was, by the very rolling pin I got her for Christmas last year. It was a vast conspiracy, and 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 Megan was pulling the strings so that she could jump in and be a host. I see it all now, clear as day. And it becomes a very pro-Thrawn podcast, as opposed to our Thrawn ambivalent <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, Thrawn ambivalent at best. Um, but anyway, uh, was we, we spend a couple paragraphs on Han's classic dumb guy impression that Force are all the same. Oh, this is this is great. <laughs> Han had never liked Force very much before joining the Rebel Alliance, which wasn't to say he disliked them either. Forrest was simply not something the average smuggler thought about very much. <laughs> like, there, there's a much more elegant way of stating this, Zahn. It's called ambivalence. Yes. We just use that word. You could just use that word. Betsy, Get your. you should have gotten your red pen out. There is much to strike here. Um, <laughs> but this leads into a discussion on how Han intends to set the Falcon down without tearing a big old hole in the forest canopy that would be easily spotted by any patrols. Uh, so uh, they they fly around until they find a gap created by a fallen tree, and Han deftly turns the falcon sideways to uh, kind of slip into that gap and uh, set it down. I also like how it says that his uh, stint with the Rebel Alliance is what caused him to realize that all forests are not the same. <laughs> it's like it's like an after Which... school special or something. <laughs> like shit, I learned that by reading Ranger Rick. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they probably don't have Ranger Rick on Corellia. Or uh, the Corellians are some some sad some sad bastards. Well, they don't have Ranger Rick. They Yeah. They uh, were in that terrible uh they were in that terrible movie Solo. They're in that terrible movie Solo. The the best politician they can cough up is Bernie Iblis. Yeah, who only named <laughs> post offices, <laughs> only by names the way. Post offices. Yeah, he's really gotten a lot done. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, they, they, they set down the Falcon on this, uh, on this forest here in Wayland. Uh, Han has the ship sensors scanned for animal life and finds a number, but they're all keeping their distance. The lunchbox guy... Oh, man, this, this fucking sent me. This, yeah, I, I need to hand it over to you again, but please, uh, please go on. Because <laughs> Lando's asking, how big are these animals? Leaning over Han's shoulder to have a look at the display. And how many to a bunch, Luke added? About 15, Han told him. Nothing we can't handle if we need to. Let's go take a look. Okay, now imagine to yourself that you're you're in a forest and you're told, okay, there are 15 animals in the proximity. <laughs> now, does that mean squirrels? Does that mean bears? I think it's relatively important to, to discern what kind of animals, not just the number of animals. One would think so, and I, I do like the... Because if you get really granular with it, there should be 
thousands upon thousands of animals <laughs> right. if insects exist in Star Wars. Exactly. Which I'm pretty sure they do. Exactly, yeah. I, well, I would think any kind of... A forest ecology is going to require small-bodied uh, uh, primary consumers uh, like insects. Um, we also get a classic Zahn description, because uh, you... you you know that Zahn is is champing at the bit to create new uh, new properties for for Lucasfilm with this with these Star Wars novels and get a lure of this animal. It's gray with a freckling of white across its back, maybe two meters from nose to tail tuft, and it has teeth and claws. Uh, you forgot it also has beady little eyes. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> the, now the single I gave that par- now I gave that paragraph long description of the animal to our mutual friend Justin uh, who's a bit of an artist uh, in the hopes that he would draw what he thinks this animal is supposed to look like yes we will definitely be posting that art when the episode goes live so uh, keep an eye on that <laughs> I, 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 I... But it's, like, it's, it's like animals are the most descriptive things in the world yeah like, like there's a whole like there's so a huge variety of animal forms. They're captivating. You pay attention to them. Hell, human beings probably invented language in order to talk to each other about animals. <laughs> and like <laughs> this is like doing this is like doing a sports ball about animals. Yeah, yeah. It's it is very dismissive. But again, again, you know, this is Timothy trusting the the reader. To use their see, Timothy believes in you, Ronnie. He believes in your imagination, and he wants you to make the most of it because he cannot be bothered. Uh, like when it comes to be evocative at all, I mean, maybe he thinks that's what he's doing. He's being like elegantly evocative by just giving us the barest hint. But yeah, I, I, I really, it's. It feels. Look, if, if I mean, if he has to, just say. It's like a wolf with a fin on it. <laughs> like, we can understand that shit. Right. Instead of a gray predator with beady little eyes and teeth. Yeah, two, two, uh, two meters from nose to tail tuft. Hey, we don't, we don't even know if it has, like, fur or anything. It's just says freckling white across its back. It, it has a tail tuft, but, you know, maybe that's like a warthog or something. Where we don't know if it's skin. a bird or a, a reptile or whatever. Yeah, see this, you know, I, I choose to imagine it's uh, rather similar to some of my favorite Permian-era mammal-like reptiles. By the way, if any any listeners want to draw their impression of this animal, please uh, send us the to our email. Yes, that email is thronderdomepod at gmail.com. Uh, put, uh, put animal in the, in the subject line. <laughs> And we'll see. We'll see what you can get out of this. Maybe you can wring something cool out of it. Um, if there's a best animal, you get to choose which uh, Disney Star Wars movie we force ourselves to watch. <laughs> After we force ourselves to watch a Disney uh, Star Wars TV show. Yes. Yes. Oh boy. Um, but Han and Chewie kind of have this. They seem familiar. These things. Uh, you know, Han remarks those Panthak things from Mantessa, maybe. Well, while Han keeps an eye on the beasties, Luke and Mara bring the speeder bikes out of storage to unpack and start up. The moment they activate the repulsor lifts and those, those lifts hum to life, the Predator leaps 
After a brief scuffle, wherein Chewie blasts a couple and Luke laser chops the rest, the remaining animals back off and crouch back behind under the trees. Uh, Han notes that they attacked as soon as the speeder bikes turned on, and everything falls into place for him. Chewie makes a noise, and Han concurs that they've tangled with these things before. They're called Garrels, Mara said. <laughs> uh, Strong competitor for the stupid name uh, competition yes, in this book. It's definitely going in the big book of stupid names. Uh, she continued, The Empire used them as watchdogs, usually near heavily wooded frontier garrisons where probe droid pickets weren't practical. There's something in the ultrasonic signature of a repulsor lift that's supposed to sound like one of their prey animals. Draws them like a magnet. And apparently they can hear... See, she uses the fucking word watchdogs. Why not just say they look like dogs? <laughs> Clearly dogs exist in Star Wars, or else watchdog wouldn't make any sense as a term. Yeah, yeah that's a good catch. It should have said watchvornsker or something. Uh, this is the angriest I've been about the novel. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty bad. Um but uh, apparently they, could, they can hear a ship-sized repulsor for kilometers away, hence how all these uh, individuals had gathered up there to meet the Falcon. And uh, if they've been radio-tagged, then the Imperials know exactly where they are. But after checking, it appears that these must be descendants of abandoned Garrels gone feral, because none of them have like a radio tag or any kind of uh, tracker on them. So that's a relief. But this also means there's no way they can use the speeder bikes. It's going to have to be a hike. Han reckons eight or nine days to reach the mountain, barring any trouble. But Mara declares that they will definitely run into trouble. The native Psadans and Minerishi have no love for humans, and even less since the Empire moved in. So I like that we finally get... I have no idea what those are. Well, it's if you remember from the first chapters of Heir to the Empire, the first novel where they Thrawn first lands on uh, on Wayland and remarks that there are three types of architecture, including human. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess these are the other two types of architecture, the Psadans and Minarishi. Why am I why am I thinking nostalgically back to when he described the Bims as having like yellow shirts? Man, and thinking, we, wow, that was a that was a crackerjack description. He described their yellow shirts, he described their Tower of Law and the the Superdome that they have. It's great. That was a that was a great time. He really But anyway, but anyway this this juncture brings us to uh another favorite segment of ours in this novel which is uh shitting on c-3po because he's yes a bit. <laughs> yes my, and, my, my, well, uh, not, my notes not so much a bitch as as it is a lot of words that are not acceptable anymore that you might see in a lot of <laughs> 1990s comedies right uh in my notes it said zon takes the time to point out what a sissy wiener c-3po is <laughs> yeah because he complains that uh complains that they're not really he and r2d2 aren't really equipped for forest travel yeah which, you know, fair. Perhaps other arrangements could be made. The arrangement is that you walk like the rest of us, Han said shortly. Getting into a long discussion with 3PO was now he'd been planning to spend his day. So, he would rather he'd rather spend the entire day hiking on a hostile planet that they know nothing about than talk to C-3PO. <laughs> yeah. He really fucking hates that guy. And we also have, this section also has some classic Zon descriptions of animals. Uh, in the process, they disturbed more than plant life and wound up spending several tense minutes shooting at a nest of six-legged, half-meter-long creatures. 
that swarmed out, biting Great. and clawing at them. Fortunately, the claws and teeth were designed for much smaller game, and aside from a nicely matched set of tooth dents in 3PO's left leg, no one suffered any damage before they could be driven away. 3PO moaned more about that than either the incident or the damage really deserved. The noise possibly attracting the brown-scaled animal that attacked a few minutes later. That is probably... Another the, classic animal. This is the most Timothy Zahn sentence in the entire book. It's calling 3PO a whiny little sissy and then a vague animal attacks. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. What if he has, What if he has like, face blindness for, but for animals? Like, he goes to the zoo and he sees a penguin and he's like, Oh, that's a quality animal there. <laughs> Look at that animal. He, he's like going. He's like. Then he, then he sees a bison. He's like, ah, yes, another animal. He goes over to the uh, the African savanna uh, kind of paddock where they have like the the hippos and giraffes and elephants are all kind of walking around together. And he's like, wow, look at all the, these are all the same type of animal, right? These are anybody else like this is. He can't tell the difference. He can't tell the difference. Uh, so we get a few more pages of this bickering and. Uh, <laughs> And struggling with C-3PO, uh, denigrating him, until the gang find an empty creek bed uh, that's that's going toward that mountain. And that eases their travel, and they make a good pace until nightfall. Mara and Luke have a conversation uh, about how reminiscent of Mirker all this is. <laughs> yeah, good, good catch, guys. And uh, Mara has a great paragraph where she both yells at Luke Skywalker and implies something about the pre-prequel conception of the Clone Wars that, that Zahn is working with. And I'd like to read the whole passage, because I think this is interesting. Let's get one thing clear right now, Skywalker, she growled. That's Armara. I work for Card, and Card has already said that we're staying neutral in this war of yours. The only reason I'm here is because I know a little about the Clone Wars era and don't want to see a bunch of cold-faced duplicates trying to overrun the galaxy again. The only reason you're here is that I can't shut the place down by myself. So, again, we have this... Clearly, Zahn is working with an idea that the Clone Wars were a war fought by the Republic against the Clone Masters and their armies of clones. Right? There's no other way to interpret this. And I and it's really... like we does, remember... does Zahn know what a clone is? <laughs> because... That, that's what kind of my whole problem with the Clone Wars idea is like, they're just like military grunts. They, like, you know, they're being a thousand stormtroopers doesn't actually improve the quality of the army because they're just stormtroopers. It's like having it. It's like when Shredder has like the the foot. The foot soldiers, like <laughs> just because there's a bunch of them doesn't mean they're actually good. And and the the description "cold face duplicates" suggests there's some anti-clone uh, sentiment from Mara Jade. Well, that was, and, and I guess like what's, you know, I guess what's going on here is th- if I had to interpret this, it would be like okay, when you are growing a clone, you're doing it in a matter of days, so it's not like they've had their own full life to live. To, I guess develop a personality but it's whatever personality the clone engineer has decided to impart upon the duplicated brain I guess and so so maybe that's what if, if you are making clones in order for them to perpetrate war crimes I guess you do want a bunch of cold faced you know stony minded you know goons um, but I just find this weird. weird because like all of the other 
all the other like fiction I've read about clones is heavily on the like, okay, clones have souls and they're their own people. Right, right. Well, and, and that's what it would be like if if there ever you know if there ever is an actual human clone, like they're going to be a human being about it. Like there's there's just no there's no way around that. Um, again, I guess unless no, it's you, have, just, you know, just, it, it's just like one of those things where George Lucas thought Clone Wars sounded cool, but never gave it much more thought. Exactly. That's exactly and what it is. And then you ended up with the nonsense in the prequels where it's like Christopher Lee versus a bunch of clones we've or had, whatever the hell it was. We've had literally 40 years of people trying to wring some kind of sense out of a line that was just in there to sound science fiction-y. That's what it is. It's the same, the same, it's the same fucking deal with parsecs where there's, you know, nerds are twisting themselves in knots about how, like what, what Han meant by it can go so many parsecs and, and whatever, whatever. It's like, no, like, George Lucas heard a word, thought it sounded science fictiony and used it wrong there. <laughs> I solved it for you. It's such a strange thing to, and I, but I will say I do want to plant my flag. Here. Well, it's like people misinterpreting the Bible. <laughs> Well, that's true. Um, of course, and I would say ex- Star Wars extremists are just as annoying as extremist Christians. I would concur. I absolutely agree. And I think, really, Ronnie, we can think of ourselves as the Martin Luther of Star Wars Church, and that we're going to clarify this for everyone. And once we do, everyone will agree that we had the right idea. Um, I'm going to fucking nail 95 complaints to <laughs> Timothy Zahn's front door. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be one of the scenes in Fanboys too. <laughs> Like forty of them are just going to be names that he came up with. Yeah, and like, like it's like, and just a note that says, "How dare you?" Um, but after some Bill Bringy or whatever the fuck. <laughs> but after some uh, awkward time working together to clear a campsite, Mara asks Luke, "You're the only one who knows. How did the Emperor die?" And Luke begins to explain. Gets to the part where the Emperor is trying to get Luke to kill Darth Vader. So that he would be opened up to the dark side and the Emperor's influence when Mara interrupts. And so instead you you ganged up on him, she accused, her eyes flashing with sudden anger. You turned on him, both of you. <laughs> which is, which... There, there's a, there's a, uh, that I want to highlight. It's, uh, Luke stared at her and suddenly understood Mara Jade, the Emperor's hand, who could hear his voice from anywhere in the galaxy. She'd been in contact with her master at the moment of his death and had seen it all. Except that somehow she'd gotten it wrong. Now somehow is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. <laughs> she saw it all, except she didn't see it. Thanks. <laughs> okay, great. Um, she, she's as good at uh, she's as good at witnessing battles as Timothy Zahn is at looking at animals. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, but anyway, Luke, of course, uh, you know, tells her that's not how it was at all, and, and Mara's confused because, of course, she's been dreaming it for five years, and it turns out it wasn't Luke at all. That he hadn't gone to the Death Star to assassinate the Emperor, merely to try to turn his father away from the Emperor's influence and the dark side. Mara concludes that even if this is all true, Luke is still responsible for the Emperor's death. So, you know, she's still got that that chip on her. Blaming him for his dad's decisions is kind (laughs) of suspect. (laughs) Well, no one ever said Mara was, you know, the most reasonable uh, in the room. Well, that does bring us to chapter 17. Which I hope you, I hope everybody, uh, did y'all enjoy the movie Sneakers? All about uh, electronic espionage and, uh, and, 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 and cloak and dagger stuff? Uh, well, you're going to love Chapter 17. 
<laughs> because chapter 17 also starts out pretty well with the door to the assemblage chamber slid open and a small flood of beings and droids began pouring out into the grand corridor, chattering among themselves in the usual spectrum of different languages. I really get the sense that Zahn is losing interest in finishing this book and it's like <laughs> ah you know you know the, the small flood of beings and droids speaking the spectrum they're doing, they're, of they're, languages they're, they're doing the usual bullshit you know what this is <laughs> don't have to spell it out for you look uh, industrial light and magical make it look cool like whatever tr- trust me i we'll, we'll get the guys in production design to make this actually work uh no yeah but actually speaking of nearing the end and, and wrapping things up this this does finally we are finally this is the chapter where we finally discover Delta Source. And boy, this is This might be the this might this chapter might be the angriest Daniel gets at the book. <laughs> to, this is going this this chapter makes the entire run of this podcast the largest Daniel's folly of all. Because uh, I think we were talking the, a couple episodes ago that I, I had gone back and re-listened to some of the, the earlier eps. And uh, from the get-go, I had my suspicions about winter. <laughs> like, basically from, like, day one, I was like, that's that's the spy. That's the spy. Um, and, uh, well, since you might, you might have gathered from the fact that this has now become a, a Daniel's Folly months, almost a year in the making, uh, it's not winter. But let's find out who or what it is. Leia, the answer will enrage you. The answer did you did you guess that the answer would be stupid? Um, Leia, <laughs> I did. I win. <laughs> Leia and Winter and uh, and all the rest of the folks on Operation Delta Source Uncover now are uh, set up to begin their sting. If we recall from from last time, they came up with this idea to basically try to sift through. They're planting fake stories to to kind of burble through the the expected channels and seeing which ones wind up being passed on through delta source which they have they have now unencrypted unencrypted the uh its transmissions so leia and winter walk among the throng passing through the hall of the assembly chamber reciting a prepared conversation about a bounty hunter looking to sell leads on imperial shipbuilding activity once they're finished they head for the turbo lifts to get to Gent's secret slicing room they've set up for him in a disused power cell room uh, so Ghent is in his goon chamber, gooning away. Uh, <laughs> sorry, just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I, 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 I promised before we started recording I would not do puerile humor, and I, I failed at that just now. Um, but Ghent's in there, you know, typing away on whatever kind of laptop. I don't know if laptops exist in Star Wars. I mean, he just finished slicing the latest batch of intercepted transmissions. Verbatim transcriptions of high-level diplomatic conversations, plenty of palace gossip, the typical wide range of material that Delta Source transmits. They spot one of their planted stories about Bapfash, and analysis concludes that 47 people would have, would have been able to listen in to that. After a few minutes, several other decoy messages are discovered, and Gent gets to work passing them through a sifter program to determine who would have been in place to have overheard all of those decoy messages. No luck, though. There, there is a red herring, though, because uh, Gant eventually uh, says that uh, Counselor Cyan Two of Sullust, yeah, uh, could be the the Delta Source. But then uh, Leia is like, 
he was one of the earliest leaders in the Rebel Alliance. In fact, I think he was the one who brought Nian Nub and his private raiding squad over to us after the Empire forced them out of the Solus system. Again, more nonsense words. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they they quickly like uh, they quickly, you know, ensure yeah. that it's not him it's... because because uh, he doesn't he hasn't been around for all the conversations that have been uh, encrypted and sent by Delta Source. So yeah, yeah. So they, they, they... It, it's all it's all just wasted time. <laughs> I was of, gonna say... like trying to figure out who. Who from this list of of, uh, of personnel could possibly be the the uh, yeah the, the Delta source? And then it's it's up to it's up to Bernie Sanders to to uh, <laughs> that's right one up the one up the women by by uh, by pointing out that it's probably uh, or it's possibly a a droid of some sort yeah he 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 brings up the possibility garm garm uh arrives and 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 brings up the possibility that uh it might be some kind of exotic recording system possibly mounted on a droid yeah um but for which for whatever reason security is not equipped to discover with their with their sweeps um but with these disappointing results leia then heads down to the war room to observe the latest developments in the anti-asteroid effort Involving uh, slipping a f- unmanned freighter through the briefly lowered planetary shield to dump reflective dust into the likely low orbit paths of the cloaked asteroids, um, and we get pages and pages of really boring techno babble uh, before they finally get a result. There's a turbulence in the dust cloud indicating the path of an asteroid. Uh, uh, Bernie Iblis's uh, dreadnought, the Harrier, sweeps its turbo lasers along that uh, that line and succeeds in disabling the the cloak effect, uh, revealing the asteroid. But this in turn triggers a self destruct function, which blows the asteroid and the cloaking device to smithereens. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't care about any of this. Yeah, it just goes on and on. Uh, there's one of the uh, chaff deploying transports gets wrecked by an asteroid that they failed to spot. Uh, Winter had walked up in that time to see that, and and even though it was an unmanned freighter, Winter has a Vietnam flashback that makes her upset. That's the side. That's the downside of her uh, eidetic uh, photographic memory. Uh, but she bids Leia come speak to her, and Leia uses Jedi mind powers to detect that it's not good news. Well, they head back up to Gen. This was a real. This was. Such she a also food, could have like figured out it was side. not good news. She could also figure out it's not good news because uh, like reading. Winter's facial expression or something. Right, Putting right. Fucking Jedi skills. <laughs> right. Um, it's just such an odd aside. I guess it's, you know, it's Timothy's way of showing Man, that... This, this, explain, this explains a lot, because, like, I have my my beliefs that George Lucas is somewhere on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and needing to use special powers to discern people's emotions. That, I mean, that may... And that's, well, that's, that's you know, that's a... Uh, that is a skill that some people it doesn't come naturally to some people. You're right. That's that that may be we'll call that a piece of evidence. Um, I, I'm just I'm just saying that uh, like Luke Skywalker is the last of the neurotypicals, <laughs> and that he's a and that he's a dumb oaf whom everyone loves for some reason. <laughs> the other thing I want to bring up is that uh, adding to our running tally of things that exist in Star Wars, 
I don't think we've brought it up before, but microphones exist in Star Wars, which means phones exist in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know microphones exist because, uh, you know, Han Solo spoke into one in the in the uh, Death Star prison breakout scene, you know. Yeah, but they could have called it something else. Yeah, like a, like a, like a, a Vox channel or something. Yeah. Like, you see, I mean, you got shit like Hit and Fade and Slicers. <laughs> That's true. You know, why stick with microphone? Um but they, they go back to check it on Ghent. He's finished his latest attempt at parsing all this Delta Source data, but he's come up with a big fat zero. It is impossible that there is one person who has heard all of those planted stories that Delta Source sent out, as well as all the material that wasn't planted. There, you know, all the, just the regular uh, information that went out. There's, there's no one who could have been around for all that. At minimum, it, he, he determines it would require 15 people working together. There's a few pages of uh, Garnbel Iblis and Leia chewing all this over uh, when Gent has a brainwave. That Delta Source isn't a person, it's, it's a droid. Um, but that would explain how it avoids the security sweeps. If it's a droid, it literally just walks away when security comes through. Uh, Winter has the idea to observe the Grand Corridor during a sweep to see which droids leave. Uh, Leia, Winter, and Bell Iblis post up in different observation spots and check in on their walkie-talkies, uh, but to no avail. There are no suspicious movements of any droids whatsoever, and Winter makes the droidist remark that uh, it would be difficult for them to determine which one it was anyway because all three PO droids look alike. <laughs> which... Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, that is true, but you can't say it. Um, but... What about the insectoids SPD maintenance droids? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, well, they all look alike. You know, the the, the, the p- typical insect, <laughs> fly, cockroach, butterfly. Yeah, they're all the same. It's all you know. They're they're all they're all the same body plan. That's why they're related. They're all hexapods. Um, <laughs> but uh, just when Leia's about to despair of uh, ever rooting out the leak, Leia has a breakthrough and I my note is just to read page 395 so let's cue that up <clears throat> security invariably did a complete screening of every joy that came into the palace whether on a permanent or temporary basis and they knew exactly what to look for hidden secondary espionage program would show up like a burst of pale red against the subtle background pattern on that chala tree Leia frowned staring at the tree as her chain of thought jolted to a halt chain of thought not an expression. Another small burst of red appeared on the slender trunk. Now, we've we actually talked about these trees before as an example of Timothy actually describing something interesting. <laughs> that that there's Also, these... I want to I want to hit back on your chain of thought not being a phrase. Yeah. Maybe it's just a Star Wars phrase because trains don't exist. Oh, you're right. Oh, you got Zon me. outsmarted you, dummy. He fucking got me. All right. But we've talked about the Chala trees before. Like, we, we, we admired the fact that Timothy took the time to give us the detail that, like, pressure waves make color patterns on these trees. We should have known well, then. That was, for, that was foreshadowing because he needed it for the Delta Source reveal. <laughs> we should have known that as so, so parsimonious an author as Timothy Zahn would never bother to describe something if it didn't have some kind of plot payout. <laughs> <laughs> so another small burst of red appeared on the slender trunk as she watched, sending a pale red ring rippling outward and around the trunk until it faded into the quiet purple background turmoil. Another flicker followed, 
and another and another, chasing each other around the trunk like ripples from a dripping waterline. All of them more or less the same size, all of them originating from the same place on the trunk, each of them exactly in time with one of the clucking noises from the MN2E droid. And suddenly it hit her, like a violent wave of icy water. Fumbling at her belt with suddenly trembling fingers, she keyed for the central operator. This is Counselor Organa Solo, she identified herself. Get me Colonel Bremen in security. Tell him I've found Delta Source. They had to dig nearly eight meters down before they found it. Eight meters? Also, aside and aside, eight meters into what? Like, there's eight meters of dirt? Below, like in these planters where these trees are? That's like what, over 24 feet? Yeah, that's like 20, 25, 26 feet. <laughs> anyway, they had to dig nearly eight meters down. Like, is this all on the ground floor? I don't know. But then they goes and says, a long, fat, aged tarnished tube half buried in the side of the Chala tree's taproot. How are you going to be half buried if it's eight meters down? Well, it's half buried into the root that deep. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. With a, thou- with a thousand slender sampling leads feeding into one end and a direct transmission fiber snaking out the other. Even then, it took another hour and the preliminary report before Brayman himself was finally convinced. The texts say it's like nothing they've ever seen before, the security chief told Leia, Bel Iblis, and Mon Mothma as they stood on the scattered dirt around the uprooted Chala tree. But apparently it's reasonably straightforward. Any pressure on the Chala tree trunk, including pressure created by sound waves, sets off small chemical changes in their inner layers of bark. Which is what creates the shifting colors and patterns, Mon Mothma asked. Right, Brayman nodded, wincing slightly. Obvious in hindsight, really. The pattern changes are far too fast to be anything but biochemical in origin. Well, yeah, it's also a fucking plant. It's going to be biochemical. I do no think at what. this point in the in the book, uh, I messaged you and said, "Just Delta Source is a fucking tree." <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> so anyway, the, the there's a little module inserted into the tree. It interprets this chemical data, runs it back into sound wave data and into speech with which it then transcripts and then sends out as a transmission an organic microphone bellibus nodded with no electronics anywhere in sight for a counterintelligence week to pick up a whole series of organic microphones bremen corrected glancing significantly the twin rows of trees lining the grand corridor um we'll get rid of them right away such a brilliant plan mon mothma mused and so very like the emperor i'd always wanted bernie iblis has a great great uh, line at the end of the chapter which is let's get a team up here colonel and dig up some trees so there you have it everybody delta source delta source all of the sensitive and i feel like i would like to go back and check back all of the information that got to thrawn credited to delta source and see if it makes any sense that that would be something someone talked about in the fucking hotel atrium lobby with the trees because like the fact that your your secret ear on the goings-on in the palace is literally just the fucking lobby? Are you really going to get that much sensitive information there? I mean, I guess I guess he did. You know, we, we know Delta Source was such a, such a great boon to Thrawn's plans, but uh, holy shit. <laughs> I, will, I will give Zahn credit. I did not see this coming. I genuinely didn't. I don't think any. I don't think anyone would have predicted it was a fucking tree. <laughs> For all of the, 
and I do think it's funny that like, you know, that Timothy's been hitting this note the entire series about just how baffling Delta Source is and how, oh, it's it's such a, you know, it's such a vulnerability and gosh, oh, if we could only figure it out. But he never once like, you know, other than noting the detail that the trees will change color when affected by pressure, he did not leave any sort of clue or breadcrumb at all to even compete with like, because that's the thing. Like, I think if like, we, we've talked before about whether, <laughs> whether winter, you know, suspiciously not being around when someone let the, the Imperial forces in, like all the other ways that she seemed like sketchy, that would make more sense if that was in tandem with other clues leading toward the correct assumption, right? Like that's, the, that's what's fun about a red herring. But instead it was like, we were out here, we were we were out here like insane conspiracy theorists trying to pin our red yarn with facts together that were never there in the text to begin with. I mean, this is just that Simpsons joke where, it's like, I thought Smithers shot Mister Burns, and then Lisa goes, "Yeah, that would have made a lot more sense." <laughs> very, very much. What a what a strangely uh, dissatisfying end to that <laughs> mystery. <laughs> But I'm, I don't think you could call it anticlimactic because it's so strange. Well, right. I mean, it's really, like, structurally, it's very weird. Like, this was one of the main motifs of the trilogy. And it, the way it's talked about is presented, to, like, I don't know about you, but I, as a reader, assumed that, oh, this is like a little mystery element, right? This will be, like, part of the fun of reading this element the subplot in the story is piecing together the 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 mystery or whatever but it was not like that at all it was just it was just completely everyone was completely in the dark until the last couple pages and then they got it uh, at, then they dug, and then up, they some dug up some trees <laughs> well let's let's cleanse our palate of that nonsense with chapter 18 uh, where we get some some rip roaring Talon card and Samuel Tomas Gillespie action, um, all sorts of terrible names are in this. Of in just this chock full of terrible names because this is of course the the smugglers conclave are coming back together. Card and Samuel Tomas Gillespie are uh, watching Mazik's ship as it approaches the crumbling fortress hideout. Um, Niles Farrier pipes up. He's there as he tosses charred perky nuts into his mouth. About time. Finally get this meeting going. Gillespie asks Card why the hell Farrier is here. And Card is like, I didn't invite him. I don't know. Uh, they they assume that one of the other attendees did. You know, who the hell knows? Get off my back. Um, we we often uh, criticize the names in this uh, book, as you as you well know, listeners. But I want to give credit for Zahn for, for naming a ship the distant rainbow <laughs> which i think is lovely it's very it's poetic it's one of mazik's ships who know who knew he had such a sensitive soul which is it, it really does not fit with the the other ships names which are skyclaw and raptor like skyclaw and raptor sound like you know fucking gi joes and then you have distant rainbow <laughs> but uh so so Mazik's coming by, he's gonna attend the uh the smuggler meeting. Uh Torv calls Card down to the revamped banquet hall that is serving as the hangar for the uh the wild card and you know card ships. And he says uh he spotted someone slinking around. Someone's in the ship. 
So Chin was taking Sturm and Drong for a walk and saw something moving in the shadows. So Torv is ordered to lock down with guards on every entrance, and he and Card go in to check out the ship's interior themselves. Now they turn up nothing, though, and then they're just like, oh, well, I guess it was nothing. And, like, I, I really have to... I have a big, big problem with the fact that everyone forgets that Niles Ferrier goes everywhere with a shadow monster who sneaks around. Like, would you not... Look, it's pretty easy to forget about a shadow monster that got set on fire <laughs> in, a, in a bar by Han Solo. Like, they all know Niles Ferrier has a, a dang shadow man on his squad. So, like... No, I, I agree with you. I think the book should be about the Shadow Man, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. Far more interesting than this asteroid Coruscant crap. Uh, but it's just so... Like, you you like you introduce the Shadow Man, I want to know more about the Shadow yeah, Man. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree. And I'm glad we did get more of the Shadow Man, you know, really. Um, but uh, anyway, they, they assume, like, oh, well, I guess it was nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and... Where's that? Where's that fucking prequel, Lucas? That's what I'm talking about. Where's Where's how Where's how Niles Ferrier met uh, met the Shadow Monster? Hey, 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 hey! hey they could call it uh, "Before the Devil Knows You're Dead." Oh man, that would be so good. Because <laughs> I mean, like, what's the Shadow Monster's like? Is the Shadow Monster sentient? Does he have like thoughts and? I mean, feelings? he can understand orders. What, what's he? What's he getting out of the Niles Ferrier uh, partnership? I mean, maybe they're like. Uh, How does he feel about being set on fire by by Han Solo? I think it goes. I I I think my interpretation is that um, the the Shadow Monster, the Wraith, the Defel, is like drug buddies with Niles. Like that's <laughs> like that's how they know each other, and like they kind of like that's how they so, fell in. Wait, wait, wait! I I think I got it. If Niles Ferrier is like the the evil Han Solo, mm-hmm. then the Shadow Monster is evil Chewbacca. Yeah, we, well, we've touched on that. Like, we wondered if there was some kind of life debt thing similarly working there. Uh, but I, I couldn't tell you. I would love it if the Shadow Monsters also believed in life debts. <laughs> it's, lit- it's literally just, like, nega Chewbacca. It's just, it's just a Wookiee. Because it's furry and strong and has claws. It's like those stupid... It's like those stupid evil droids I showed you that are... Uh, C-3PO and R2-D2, but... <laughs> evil like, versions, black. right? But goth. <laughs> oh, it's a goth wookie. And what's, what's more goth than a, than a shadow monster? I mean, that's really... I mean, it's practically a Bauhaus album in itself. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so they, they, had, they had back up to where, uh, you know, Mazik's ships have landed. He's, he's gotten out there. And, and Mazik, we get pages and pages of the kind of, like... Everyone knows what you're talking about, but no one's saying what they're talking about. Routine with with Mazik holding card at gunpoint and being like, "Oh, nice to see you." Oh, oh, what? Oh, I just thought I just I just thought of this yeah. joke, which is uh, Bahas has a has a cover of uh, Bela Lugosi's Dead, but it's Chris Peterson's Dead. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Chris. R.I.P. Chris Peterson and the Gotol. Uh, you are beloved. Literally, the, the only, only two <laughs> two characters who the have only died. And, names and faces and who whom we know and can honor on our wall of uh, on our memorial wall that we have here at Thronderdome HQ. Uh, I think we actually get the Godel's name in this chapter too. Yeah, we do. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> uh, we also get we we also get like you know all of the smugglers like Travis and Clyburn, the zebra yeah, man, Parta, the Hoden, Elor, <laughs> and, and you know just uh, talent cards a uh, usual gang of idiots like Chin and Tor exactly. Really Thieves. great names all around. But here we go with, with Card. Like, I, I was wondering if I misremembered that, like, if maybe Card was being cagey by not, you know, by knowing that the it was the devil and deciding not to do anything about it or something. But nope, here in the text. So so Mazik has uh, has Card, you know, is uh, like saying, like, hey, how about we have our meeting on board the wild card? How about that uh, Talon card? So we go, you know, so we'll go search the place. Um uh, Card looked at each of the smuggler chiefs in turn. Gillespie, Dravis, and Klingun were frowning, clearly with no idea at all as to what this was all about. Parta's Ho-Din face was difficult to read, but there was something about her stance that seemed oddly troubled. Elor was avoiding his eyes entirely, and Farrier... Farrier was smirking. Not obviously, almost invisibly, in fact, behind that beard of his, but enough, more than enough. And now, far too late, he finally understood... Does Zon not understand how beards work? I don't know. Maybe like the mustache falls over. Like I have a beard. I can I can smirk and <laughs> you, you can, can see, see it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like I it's not like I have just a a bunch of hair under the bottom half of my face that like covers my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not Captain Caveman. Every, every beard grows from like a line, you know, kind of starting around your nostrils, and it just creates a sheet of hair that covers your face. Everyone knows that. So just add to the things that Zahn doesn't understand. Which is funny. Beards, childbirths, pregnancy, which is funny because animals. We, we know from the pictures of Zahn that we've seen from reading articles from around this time that he has a little goatee. He has a beard. He's the world's most oblivious man. I love him. Uh, no, I think Talon Card is the world's most oblivious man because here we go. Farrier was smirking. And now, far too late, he finally understood what Chin had seen and what all of them have subsequently failed to catch had been Farrier's shadowy devil. <gasps> Talon, you, fi- you finally got it. Like, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? You know he has a shadow man and you know he uses his shadow man to sneak things on board spaceships. What is... <laughs> <laughs> also, I, also, I love Timothy Zahn's thought process here. Okay, I have a shadow monster. What what adjective can I use to, to describe him? <laughs> How about shadowy? Yeah. So, uh, Card's like, ah, damn it. You know, he's going to have to wriggle his way out of this one. Uh, Mazik does, in fact, convince everyone to uh, get on board the wild card where they go searching for all of his uh, data cards to uh, to take a look at everything. Um, and there's, there's not enough room in the, in the, uh, the wild card for everyone and all their heavies. So it's just the leaders get on, get on board. Um, so this is the, this is the Agatha Christie kind of getting everyone in the room confrontation here. Um, so the data pads are, uh, handed out around to all the, uh, the attendees here, uh, and, and they find one that seems to implicate Talon card as having set up the attack on Trogan, uh, which of course you remember Grand Admiral Thrawn had brought Mazik in to tell him all about it to to get, get him to to you know poison the well among all the uh, the smugglers and take care of Talon card for him. Um, but uh, Card kind of tries to talk his way around all that, saying like, "Hey, you know, Thrawn lies. Mazik is you know 
like, ah, uh, I don't, I don't think so this time. Farrier is like, yeah, nice try card. <laughs> we got you now. Uh, it's a little late. Um, this is, Travis picks up on that. This though. is actually, this is actually relatively compelling on the page. I must it, say. I think of all the like intrigue scenes, this one worked out. This one worked the best. Um, even though it was like a, a closed room mystery where the one possible uh, culprit is in fact the culprit. <laughs> so it's not really a mystery. <laughs> well, it's not a mystery to us, but it is a mystery to all the uh, the, uh, the the smugglers. And the way it's re- and the way it's revealed that it's uh, Niles is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he does a classic kind of uh, talking too much, right? Um, but by the way, uh, the Godel's name is Lishma. 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 R.I.P. Yes. yes. Lishma. All right. R.I.P. Lishma. Lishma and Chris Peterson. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so Farrier, like, everyone's kind of arguing. Some people are starting to get a, a little suspicious. You know, Card's kind of making some fairly good arguments, but it does look pretty cut and dry that they, you know, found the arrangements on this data pad. But then uh, Farrier says, twist all, twist all the words you want, Farrier said, jabbing a finger at the data pad sitting on the table beside Mazik. But that data card doesn't say I hired Kowalski and his squad. It says you did. Personally, I think we've heard enough of this. Just a minute, Mazik interrupted, turning to face him. How do you know what the data card says? You told us, Farrier said. You you said it was the other half of the... I never mentioned the lieutenant's name. The room was suddenly very quiet. And behind his beard, Farrier's face had gone pale. (laughs) Oh, Zahn, and you don't know about beards. But yeah, again, beards seem to be some sort of magical yes. mask in Zon world. Um, but yeah, Klingon uh, is now like, hey, wait a minute, no one mentioned uh, this guy's name. Uh, and then Card kind of, and then and then like then Farrier does like the uh, John Lovitz compulsive liar character <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. Like I kept on expecting him to say, yeah, 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 that's the ticket. <laughs> right, like, oh, because I happened to hear this Cusk's name somewhere? Maybe one of the stormtroopers on Trogan shouted it during the fight. How should I know? Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, Card, though, he he's ready for the, the final blow. When he says, uh, tell us how you learned the time and location of this meeting. Given your lack of an invitation, Mazik shot him a look. You didn't invite him? Card shook his head. Uh, well, you know, did anybody else? Uh, no one else made that invitation. Um, and, you know, well, Farrier, are you, Dravis prompted, are you going to claim one of us told you? There were tight lines in the corners of Farrier's eyes. I picked up the transmission to Mazik, decrypted it, figured I ought to be here. Pretty fast decrypting work, Gillespie commented. Those were good enough encrypt code, the good, those were good enough encrypt codes we were using. You kept a copy of the original encrypted transmission, of course. And Farrier then does the, I don't have to sit here and listen to this. <laughs> Card's the one on trial here, not me, is the literal line. <laughs> but now Mazik has turned his blaster on Farrier rather than Card. The, the jig really is up, and Farrier's big plan is to whip out a thermal detonator, saying, all right, back off, everybody, or, or, or we all get it. We'll all be blown up. And then, and this was funny. I, I love that I love that he uses his right hand, he points his right hand at, at, at uh, Card, uh, and he uses that as a dis- diversion so his left hand can can get a, a thermal detonator out of his waist sash. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're tricking people with the easiest possible Just diversion. Just cheap chicanery. Really, this is where the Looney Tunes aspects of the scene really start kicking off. Um, one touch that 
And the fact that and the fact that Gillespie says watch out as it happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> but everybody drops their weapons, uh, and then Farrier says, Wraith, get in here. So he he refers to the Shadow Monster as Wraith? Is that his name? Maybe Wraith is yeah. his name. It's like again, yeah, Shadow Monster culture, everyone is named after a type of ghost. <laughs> Wraith, Banshee, you know, the poltergeist, that kind of stuff. Um I like the I like this sentence. Uh Klingun swore a roiling Zahethra curse. Yeah. I want to know what a roiling Zahethra curse is. It probably is. sounds like a zebra winnie. Uh, <laughs> I love the zebra man. <laughs> so uh so with all this, you know, there's there's a little more like uh kinda like, ah, you're not getting out of here. Oh, I'm gonna blow all you guys up. But then uh Farrier manages to to get himself uh off the, the wild card and uh I mean, I don't. It's it's pages and pages of this stuff, but the real the real uh, kicker of all <laughs> of all this is that um, he blasts off in a you know in a stolen spaceship. He's gonna he's, or his own his own gunship. He's gonna he's gonna get away, uh, but he's he's zooming off. He must not be allowed to escape. Um, but they're gonna chase him down. But Mazik is gonna is gonna have the honors. Uh, Mazik's guys, uh, you know his 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 couple of uh, uh, gunship escorts. Uh, are are on the case, and this is the the Looney Tunes uh uh bit that I that I really appreciated. That uh, the last we see of Barrier is uh, in the distance, just above the horizon. There was a brief flare of light, where where his ship got blown up. And I like to imagine that is happening, like Wiley e. Coyote falling down into the canyon. Zon missed out on an opportunity to have uh have the classic uh duck season rabbit season <laughs> play out with uh. Card and Niles. He really he could have drawn it out a little more. This really was. I, I'm with you. This was the most fun chapter of the section that we read today for sure. Uh, or you know, read, read for this episode. Well, it wasn't about a fucking fucking eavesdropping tree. <laughs> no, it wasn't about an eavesdropping tree. It was about uh, it was about a shadow monster named Wraith, uh, whom no one could remember that there's a shadow monster around. But that's the that seems to be the end of Niles Farrier. Uh, we, we, we loved you. This makes the third named character to die. So we have, uh, Oh, he, I didn't even pick up that he died. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the brief flare of light flare of light on the horizon was his ship getting blown up. <laughs> I thought that it was like in GI Joe where he like, uh, parachuted away before <laughs> it exploded. I mean, probably we, if I know Timothy's on, we have not seen the last of Niles Farrier because Timothy loves Niles Farrier. Loves, loves dropping him in anywhere. I guess we'll see. I, I, I presume though, this is the last we'll see of him. And, uh, I, I, he's up in heaven with Chris Peterson watching, looking down on all of us, uh, here at Thronderdome. And this concludes our recap for the episode. Um, this is interesting. I thought I thought it was interesting that we had we had two plot lines kind of sewed up in this one, which makes sense because we're getting into the last third of the last novel. So it is time to kind of, I guess, focus on the big plot elements and get all these subplots kind of, you know, wrapped up to uh, to the readers just intense and undying satisfaction. Um, this is the payoff, Ronnie. This is what we've been working toward this whole time. <laughs> Ah, uh, but it does it does make you feel good. But anyway, with the with the recap done, with with the chores out of the way, it's time to play. 
And so, of course, the, the, our, our favorite segment on Thronderdome, uh, the, the, the clash of wills, the battle of minds, the, the struggle of, of worldview against worldview, right? Velton Shaung uh, uh, against Velton Shaung, and which one will reign supreme? Every week uh, here on Thronderdome, Ronnie and I in our segment Into the Thronderdome uh, will uh, select a topic to debate. Uh, two men enter, two men leave, accompanied by the damn truth. And uh, for today's uh, debate, Ronnie, I, I think you had a, you had a, a fine topic uh, selected. And, and what would that be? Israel Palestine? No, no I'm, I'm kidding. We're no, never going to do that. No, <laughs> we don't need no, to. No, uh, we don't need no. to. We, that's asking for trouble. Uh, tug it, at my collar right no. now. <laughs> Uh, no, no, we're we're doing something much more fun and and uh, less uh, soul destroying. We're, we're <laughs> yeah. uh, debating uh, vibes. Vibes, you know them, you love them. It's the the word of the decade. Vibes, vibe shifts, vibe checks. It's everywhere. But what is a vibe? And moreover, is a vibe wrong? Uh, what what are we actually debating? <laughs> are we debating what are vibes? Are vibes good or bad? Is it good vibes versus bad vibes? Is vibes a good way to live your life? Uh, and I will argue that yes, it okay, is. Okay, okay. I will argue that it is not. Uh, but as is uh, as is keeping uh, with our with our debate segments, uh, we, we we do try to keep positive. So we allow the pro side to go first. Ronnie, sell me, why don't you sell me on living by vibes alone? Well, vibes is just an update of the. Classic uh, hippie phrase: "Keep on trucking," and uh, it's all about just being mellow and and uh, letting letting things letting things ride, not not caring too much about what's happening, and just uh, you know in, enjoying life and ha- having a joie de vivre, as opposed to say being a a nine to five uh, 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 worker in the rat race. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a, a certain uh, bald uh, friend of mine. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, you know, well, that, that, that makes sense. Um, uh, did you did you have more of that that first uh, Sally Forth, or uh, may I may I rebut? Well, I would say that I would say that vibes are best exemplified by the character of Wooderson from Dazed and Confused. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, just living. L i v i. I am <laughs> just just uh, living and going to get uh, preying on underage women. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, classic American uh, activities: <laughs> smoking, smoking some reefer, uh, driving around, doing nothing important, getting some concert tickets in the morning. I mean, really, really, going for vibes is just. Is just trusting your your inner self to decide what's what's cool and and what you want to do, as opposed to uh, you know uh, basing basing your your life on what society expects of you. <laughs> this is a very liberatory vision that you have there, Ronnie. And for that reason alone, I must be staunchly opposed. Yes, of course you'd be opposed. You and your 
Madison Avenue plastic fantastic lifestyle. <laughs> my my, uh, my button down uh, uh, neurotic existence. You know, uh, every everything is uh, everything has to be push button, go go go, all that business. And yes, and it is true, and it does all have to be that way. Look, folks, the modern world, it's complicated. You know, we're not, we're not hunter gatherers. We can't we can't just be wandering around in the wilderness, you know, looking for like a you know a nice fish to catch, or uh, you know, looking for like a beehive to scoop some honey out of. No, I gotta go to damn work. This is a monetary economy. We are cursed with uh, you know a, all of our relations being mediated by arbitrary tokens, and uh, that being the case, we cannot leave decisions up to vibes alone. Nay. We must live regimented lives, controlled by clock and the horrible whip of the market. Yes, only under the control, the, 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 the mediating uh, influence of market forces, monetary forces, temporal forces, forcing yourself to live by the artificial ticks of a clock. Only that can create order out of chaos. And out of order comes gross domestic product. The thing that keeps all of us alive. You may say you want to live by vibes alone, but I would say vibes are merely an epiphenomenon of the true, the true rhythm of the universe, which is a horrible, endless ticking clock. Tick, tick, tick. And you had better align your heartbeats to it. You remind me of another vibes king, uh, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Think about what Winnie the Pooh does all day. He just hangs around with his buddy, the 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 pig man, and and the and the and the tiger. I don't remember their names. Um, that's honestly, that's uh, close. <laughs> you you can't remember you can't remember you remember pig and tiger, but you can't remember piglet and tigger. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not the fucking Winnie the Pooh expert, apparently. Anyway, he just hangs out with those guys. He eats some honey and just lives in like a tree or whatever. Yeah, he fucking sounds good to me. Walks around without any pants on. Just, just, just nothing between living living the the dream. dream. Nothing between God and his asshole, right there. (laughs) Think about much how much time he's saving uh, when he doesn't have to pull his pants down to pee. That is that yeah. Cuz he doesn't have any that pants. That would save time. But the, but I think the whole point of vibes is that you don't have to worry about He's probably got like a couple more years of his life. You don't have to that, worry about uh, you you're not even considering saving time because that's not even like on your radar, man. That's not even on the on the vibe. You have more time to, to you have more time to vibe out. Yeah. I do I do like this vision we're painting of ourselves where uh now we we've, we've often referred to each other, uh, you know, Ronnie is this is the the uh the the worker ants in the fable and i am the profligate grasshopper but i do like the fact that we're painting ourselves as like you're a diligent worker ant just by vibes whereas i have a meticulously scheduled martinet's highly disciplined lackadaisical attitude and i think that actually might be true (laughs) it is true you work at the fucking word factory i do my my job is putting things in order so (laughs) So you may we. Your job is to literally stack books. It's to stack books and to make sure everything is in its place. And if something is out of place, I spot it immediately and I put it back in its place where it's supposed to go. And I guess to make sure that nobody draws penises in the children's books. Yes, that is. Uh, we do try to limit that 
but you know, can't be everywhere at once. Um, but I, but no, I'm sorry. But but back to it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna bring my professional uh, expertise into this. It's it's so important that everyone adheres strictly to the, the what is expected of them by other people, because otherwise, how do you know what someone's gonna do? And it's very important to be predictable and reliable, and that goes for everyone. So if anyone shows any kind of spark of originality or they do something unexpected, if, they, if uh, God forbid, if anyone ever zags me when they were supposed to zig, I will drop the fucking hammer. Vibes? No. Your, your wish for society is to everybody uh, ride on the same bus to the factory... And then go home from the factory to eat gray sludge. <laughs> and everyone would have a job. And everyone would get the gray sludge. It's heaven on earth. <laughs> so so your utopia is full employment and gray sludge. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm going to say yes. And no vibes. Not a single vibe. Well, I... I think my final argument is who do you want to be? Matthew McConaughey, Winnie the Pooh, or Daniel Dyer? <laughs> and we'll leave the listeners with that. Search your souls and really look deep inside. Would you rather be a child molester or a pantsless bear or an upstanding citizen who contributes to the world? Um, and we'll leave you to think on that, everyone. Thank you again for joining us for Thronderdome. Join us next time as we continue... The, th- the thrilling conclusion of the Thrawn trilogy. We'll be covering chapters 19, 20, and 21. We're coming up to the home stretch, and we'll see uh, how Timothy Zahn sticks the landing. Um, I- I'm sure it will be deft and powerful, but we'll have to see for ourselves. And until then, we here at Thronderdome wish you all a, a wonderful uh, uh, fall time and uh, a-, a happy. I don't know when this is coming out, but I don't know. Sometime around Halloween. Happy Halloween, all you goose, ghosts and ghoulies. You ghosts and ghoulies. You wraiths. You shadow devils. Please, please send us your your uh, pictures of you in Thrawn, Thrawn uh, yes. uh, trilogy costume. Yes, so that, that is your, uh, your other assignment. So one, listeners, please attempt to envision what kind of animal, Draw the animal. Timothy Zahn was describing. Two... Uh, send us your pictures of you and your wife dressed as Mara Jade and Luke Skywalker, or you and your wife dressed as uh, Admiral Thrawn and Captain Playon, or you and your wife dressed as Niles Farrier and uh, Wraith the Devil. You get the idea. Um, that's the Zebra, Zebra Man, Man, the Godel. There's a, there's so many, so many beautiful you should, characters. You can, have a, you can have a couple's costume where one of you is Chris Peterson and the other is the Godel. I mean, it's really. It's really endless. <laughs> but with that, uh, we here at Thronderdome will wish you the finest of evenings or days, wherever you are in whatever time zone you're listening to. Uh, goodbye and good night. Good night. <laughs>